This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, I shot the albatross, but I did not shoot the Dramians. everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show putting the humanities back into science fiction. I am Gep, and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izex. Hi. And this week, I, I don't think the title of this episode is anything to do with the episode, even more so than usual. Well, it's all about guilt. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so the title of this episode is Albatross. It's metaphorical. Yeah. Albatrosses. As, I, as I went into a little bit at the end of last episode, it's probably pertaining to a nautical, uh, like bad luck myth that if you if you shoot an albatross, it brings bad luck on your ship. Indeed, uh, though uh, there may be a more uh, concrete uh, attachment there in uh, literary tradition, some sort mm. of the uh, poetry called the the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Oh, yeah, that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Never read it, but I have heard of it. I've read parts of it because it's right in front of me, but <laughs> <laughs> it's actually rather long. So we're not going to read that for today's episode because it's like, here's part seven uh, about hermit gods and uh, things like that. And uh, Oof. Yeah. <laughs> uh, till noon, we quietly sailed on, yet never a breeze did breathe. Uh, slowly and smoothly the sh- with the ship moved onwards from beneath and. I don't hear a lot of rhyming for a rhyme of the ancient mariner. Not a, not a really solid, uh, you know, bit of rhyming here. Sometimes there's solid rhyming over here. I judge the classic poetry. Do and do, as in do as in honeydew, or uh, do as in to do. Okay, rhyme, but but anyway, I'm Pun digressing rhymes. here. <laughs> well, what are we actually going to talk about when we get into this? Anyway, this episode was written by Dario Finelli. Who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's, As far as I can find, he has only ever worked on one other thing, which was a movie called Scorpio 70. Yes. Um, described, I feel quite profitably, as an uneven exploitation film. Uh, that's about the vibe I got here. Uh, yeah. It's probably a good thing we've never seen it. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I have seen parts of it because I was looking up what in the world this thing is and I found at least half of it is like on Vimeo and I skimmed through and it's like people on a boat, sex, sex, sex. This is me just like randomly clicking through the timeline. <laughs> then people right. on a boat, then sex. So some sort of sex boat, or maybe even a make love boat. Ho ho. <laughs> yeah, sex boat is the unaired night nighttime sequel to Love Boat. <laughs> uh, apparently, it was referenced by Shaft in 1971. Really? Well, okay, it's more well known than I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that reference is, but that's just something I found as far as random factoids about it so <laughs> yeah i've never actually seen shaft i should and look out for the reference now there we go so we, we have homework excellent okay this uh episode has again guest star my god yes it's uh lou uh Schemer again mm-hmm. the only other person who ever does voices on this show <laughs> well they uh they had a few more guest characters that couldn't all be uh, james duhan so you know they have before, but anyway, <laughs> this time is playing two of the aliens, the only two aliens who talk. Now there's, uh, well, there's technically three, I think, but yeah, I don't, I couldn't get the, uh, you know, uh, oh yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah, James Duhan is uh, actually voicing the other two aliens. So <laughs> yeah, I guess there is one named Guard in Thanks. the script. Maybe there's four because there's also the Supreme Prefect. But anyway, <laughs> so that's all we got as far as like. Who's playing what now? So let's, let's get going. <laughs> so the Enterprise has finished delivering medical supplies to a far-off non-Federation, probably, planet called Daremia. Daremia. Let's go to Daremia. Steal their air. I mean, that's Daridia. Never mind. 
the leader named Darmian. They all have Dar or something. They all start with D. It's weird. Baba Dibodine? And his uh, army something dude, Commander Demos. Demos. They're there to thank the Enterprise crew. And they're like, okay, thank you so much. And then Kirk's about to leave. And they're like, wait, one more thing? We have a warrant for the arrest of Dr. McCoy. What the what now? Um, is this, Did he get drunk and like get in a bar fight? Because we could probably explain that as, uh, you know, medical, medicinal alcohol there, probably. Um, so what's up? <laughs> so apparently, 19 years prior, McCoy was on this planet as part of a medical team giving inoculations to the local population. After he left, a massive plague hit, killing most of the population of their sister planet, Darmia 2. Well, that's kind of awful. Uh, why, why is this the first we're hearing about this? Yeah. McCoy is immediately taken into custody. So yeah, 19 years. No one ever mentions this. I guess no one ever comes to this planet. They do say a couple of times they're out of communication range with Starfleet. So I suppose they're just too far away. But 19 years and you never bother telling anyone there was a plague. They show up past this other planet no one mentions there was a plague. They deliver the stuff. No one mentions any of this. They are literally on their way out the door. Kirk has said, beam us up. And they go, oh, one more thing. You're uh, going to jail now. What? <laughs> now, I will, uh, I guess, point out that uh, they do technically have this all approved of by the Federation as well. Yeah, it's it's approved. So why has no one ever heard of this? Yes. Why did no one bother to tell the uh, you know Kirk and company? Or is this another example of try someone trying to get the you know uh, Kirk and the crew killed in some fashion? <laughs> so nobody, including the Darmenians, have any expectation that there will be a fair trial. Yes. Their justice system is just crud. Just yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, we we have a speedy justice system so that's horribly unfair. And so, uh, yeah, you got to be screwed over. Uh, we're not going to explicitly say you're going to be executed, but kind of maybe implied. Yeah, nobody argues this. Kirk goes, I've heard of your justice system. It's a kangaroo court. And they go, yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Kangaroos are cool, aren't they? Uh, that's not what we mean. Kangaroos, they hop. <laughs> and McCoy is now in a depression spiral because he's like, but what if I did cause the plague? Oh, my God. Uh, that is maybe something to be really worried about, but there's also all this kind of other stuff that's already come to coming up here. It's like, yeah, there's something weird going on here, and none of this makes any sense. Yeah, none of it makes any sense, and it continues to not. <laughs> so Kirk's determined that he's going to actually find some evidence Gasp. of what's going on. <laughs> so he decides that he's going to take the ship and crew to Darmina 2 to investigate uh, apparently, Demos can't have this for some reason. Well, uh, if their uh, justice system, as terrible as it is, is proven to be, you know, wrong about something, then they'll lose faith in their horrible justice system. Yeah, they they never go into why they don't want the crew to investigate this at all. Well, maybe they just want revenge, and they don't know who to blame. <laughs> I, like, I had some idea. Like, there's a conspiracy. Like, they caused the plague. There's something going on. No. That's yeah, no. not that complex. <laughs> so, Demos goes after the Enterprise in his little patrol ship, which is immediately detected. But Kirk decides to ignore it, since it's really too bad that they forgot to close the hangar doors, and it's really going to be their fault if the guy, you know, docks in the ship and invades them. So, uh, you know, make sure those doors aren't horribly left open, guys. <clears throat> mm -hmm. <clears throat> Go, go open the doors, quick. So, Demos lands in the hangar, because he's stupid. Yes. <laughs> obvious trap is obvious. <laughs> and is immediately taken into custody as a stowaway by Kirk, who is waiting for him just outside. Hey, what's up? Uh, I know you're looking to uh, sneak on board and cause a ruckus and maybe sabotage some stuff. But let's just pa bypass all that and uh, you can become my prisoner. How could you do this? Like, you're a stowaway. It's like... I have been tricked. They've <laughs> <laughs> defeated me with my own weird justice system logic here. Um, yes. So they arrive at Darmia 2. There's apparently an aurora in the area that is putting out an intense, but luckily non-lethal radiation. Well, it's just electrons, right? 
I guess. <laughs> so Spock gives an overview of what they're looking at, you know, plague-wise. Uh, first symptom of the plague is that the skin changes pigmentation color. So it's blue, then red, then dead. Wait a moment. Uh, is this a good part to uh, reference uh, a short circuit? Sure. All right. Stephanie, you change color. <laughs> okay, that was a very good reference, but I, I, I'm looking for a reason to put it on there. <laughs> I thought you were going to go, dead. What? Dead? <laughs> disassemble. Do not disassemble just Spock. Wait. Short circuit needs to get on our short list. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, Vulcans are apparently immune to the plague, which is interesting, right? That's so, yeah. Well, probably the green blood thing. Of course, Spock beams down to the planet because he's immune to the plague. He's oh, accompanied nice. by Kirk and Demos. Who are not immune to the plague. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of iffy. They don't say whether or not humans can be affected at this point, but... Demos definitely can. Yes. <laughs> At least one of these people is for certain, you know, likely to get, uh, you know, dead if he gets it. So, yeah. you know. He's going to get all plagified. <laughs> the planet looks like there was a war. There's ruined buildings everywhere. It's like, you know, how recently you went outside after quarantine and the whole place was a nuclear wasteland like that. Yes. <laughs> you know, you know, your local supermarket, you know, has, has giant holes in the roof and uh, plastic tarps. That have also been blown up open. <laughs> so a bandaged figure sees them and begins to run. They give chase and follow him into a cave where they are attacked by the crazed survivor. But it's not really a survivor. Well, they pull him off of Kirk and Demos says, like, they don't like Earthmen because of McCoy. Also, none of these guys are actually survivors. They just, like, came back and found all their loved ones dead and went crazy. So uh, that's a weird thing to have happen. But this guy named Coltia... Or Coltai? It's hard to remember. Coltor! Wait, that's that's Star Wars. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> he says, nope, I am a survivor. I had this other disease, and McCoy treated me for it, and then I got the thing and was fine. Okay, so uh, I guess we have a, an in as far as like solving this plague thing. That's kind of cool. Uh, let's remember this like for more than ten seconds here, guys. He also remembers McCoy and goes like, he saved my life. He wouldn't be able to kill anyone. They go, good enough for me. You're coming with us. Hey, a character witness. It's like, good enough for us. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> McCoy saved my life. He wouldn't accidentally start a plague. That makes sense. Yeah. I, this is all, all, all sort of a weird uh, set of arguments they're going to be forming here. Hmm. It just kind of reminds me of somebody was telling me that they like someone was pressuring them to hang out before everyone was getting vaccinated and like come on i'm your friend i wouldn't give you the virus <laughs> it's not how this works people <laughs> so kirk brings the guy back on board with the hope of him testifying for mccoy when they get back to the other planet um as soon as they return to uh, darmia they are for some reason forced to fly through the multicolored aurora thing unexplained why it's just, you know. yeah the, the enterprise is just used to flying through get weird you know space phenomena at this point it's like eh, if we our computer goes and uh starts doing practical jokes we'll just trick it again like we did last time it's one of those things the captains have a pool like okay i got five energy clouds this week oh you only got four you're out <laughs> <laughs> what did yours do not take over the ship oh boring Yours just gave your crew cancer. Mine, mine was playing practical jokes. Yes, so mine's much more cool. Oh, yours uh, like uh, possessed some random person. Well, well, you know this one over here in this other ship that produced the you know you know uh, infested the whole crew except for the one uh, the captain who had to you know be strong jaw uh, McSafe day. So you yeah. Know. Oh, <laughs> Jenkins over here got magic space baby. That's bingo. <laughs> Uh, that's next generation plot <laughs> <laughs> so they're preparing to go back down to the planet when spock notes that they may not actually be able to intervene in the trial because Coltai is turning blue oh no Coltai! whatever shall we do so they immediately set up a quarantine good idea maybe we should have thought of this before yes <laughs> kirk scotty and demos also turned blue yes so maybe they should have thought about this before going to the plague planet <laughs> So soon enough, everyone except Spock has the thing. Yes, uh, even Eric is like no longer that weird orange color, but like changing green as well. So 
they need McCoy to come back and find an antidote for the plague. Why do they always call it an antidote? I don't know. Maybe just in the future, they're really bad at medical science, except for McCoy. And McCoy just plays along. <laughs> like, yeah, they get it wrong all the time. We everybody, but you know, I'm. I tried to correct them, but they just get upset, and so I just, like, I stopped bothering. But Darwin will not let their prisoner go so easily with no evidence, and everyone on the Enterprise is unable to give testimony on a point of dying. Well, uh, maybe we should just start beaming down, and then they'll get real extra, uh, you know, angry at Yeah, then they'll have a really good reason to let him try to find a cure. (laughs) So Spock, who cannot catch or spread the plague, goes to the planet knocks out the guards because conveniently they all have that nerve in their neck that Vulcans can use and then brings McCoy back. He breaks him out. McCoy goes, no, I'm too depressed. What if I did it? Leave me to die. He goes, come on, you idiot. <laughs> There's all, it's kind of an interesting exchange here because, uh, you know, Spock eventually gets around to, you know, everyone on the ship has the plague, so let's just come on. And they're like, oh, you should have said that earlier. <laughs> so McCoy's back in the ship working on a cure. He and McCoy are the only ones who can function at this point, so they're trying to find it with the help of the computer. The computer keeps not finding any matches of anything even resembling the symptoms of this plague. McCoy can't even get good readings because of the stupid Aurora. He says Aurora to himself and goes, of course, the Aurora. General random word association is the only way to do science. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, it, it, the closest thing I get for myself is more random mathematics association. Like, wait a moment, this looks like this function. But that's a little different. McCoy tells Spock <laughs> to enter the disease symptoms into the computer without the color change, because the color change is probably being caused as a side effect of the auroras. So uh, the, the color change has no association with the disease at all, I guess? And without that, they find the disease immediately. So the computer can't even be like, well, I found a disease with every symptom but one yeah (laughs) nope (laughs) not good enough has to be exact matches everything else is out but unfortunately there's no known antidote dun 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 well i guess we're screwed but wait they have kultai on board and he survived the plague the first time and mccoy's like of course i treated him for whatever virus before and he still had the antibodies from that that must have helped him cure this plague. So there we go. Just in time. We saved the crew. So uh, I guess he doesn't have the antibodies anymore because he's also dying here. But, you know, well, got to get a you know booster shot occasionally. Yeah, that's fine. Booster, booster. So McCoy is now given thanks by the planet for saving them from the plague and future plagues. And we forget about that whole, like, we were going to execute you thing. Now, uh, now, McCoy, this is a great opportunity to say, so if I'm ever charged with something else, can I just get time served? Because I was in that cell for a while, guys. <laughs> you know? So um, uh, I'm going to get a fist fight real quick. <laughs> so McCoy's back on the ship and is ready to get back to work. And Spot goes, yeah, you're behind on handing out your vitamins to the crew. What? <laughs> Spock, why are you being kind of a jerk face here? Because they do this. Jokes, yes. jokes, ha, 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 into the episode. Yeah. Yes, uh, you're bad at being a doctor. S- screw you, Spock. I'm going to be a good doctor. Yeah, McCoy is like, oh, next time I'm imprisoned, just leave me to die rather than let this Vulcan save me. Uh, I think this is also a bit where uh, the animation uh, has resulted in a little bit of a meme with uh, Kirk kind of standing by watching this with his hand randomly face palming and things like that. Yeah. I do not understand the, like, weird, askew mouth covering that they keep doing. (laughs) Their hand isn't in a natural position, and then they just put their hand over their mouth. And then just stand there for a second as a reaction. It's the only reaction they have at anything. Yes. Well, your arms tend to be coming from off screen, so maybe it's somebody else's hand. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like, while I cannot in in any way recommend people watch this series, it is is so not worth your time, I would say that you should look up at least bits and pieces because the quality of the animation is full-on impossible to describe. Yes. (laughs) It's uh, not quite uh, surrealist here, but is unintentionally janky. It hits uncanny valley so hard it comes back the other direction 
you know, kind of comes awesome in a way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's like that is so not the way a person moves that it's more believable somehow. <laughs> so, uh, and and you know, add in the uh, the various mistakes, and you know, you know, we talked previously about like. Yeah, we're uh, here's a message from McCoy who's down in sick bay and also standing right behind me, sort of stuff there. And yep. uh, yeah, it just kind of becomes a, a bizarre experience to watch. So I'll say, like you know, before we didn't like I didn't know a lot about original series. I was aware of original series. I was vaguely aware of the cartoon. We started doing this. The freaking our our own personal plague hit partway through us doing this whole thing i did not realize that every other episode of original series is about a plague yes (laughs) plague plague space aliens plague (laughs) it's just so weird i didn't realize this and it it lined up in a bad way so uh apologies to everybody for having more plague all the time here yeah just just all plague all the time star trek the plague years yeah and the thing is, we're going to have more plagues like in TNG era as well. Yeah, it's so Just weird. Not as, much, not, not, as, not as frequent, but you know. No one thought that we would have dealt with plagues by now. Well, it was kind of one of those things where uh, it was sort of one of those things people kept on saying, saying, you know, something like this is going to happen again, so we should maybe like be prepared. And then it kind of happened. In the far, far future. <laughs> yeah, but uh, wasn't people weren't expecting it to be, you know, Something that's now happened so mm-hmm. <laughs> in their lifetimes, in fact. Hmm. Whoops. So anyway, there's not like it's so, they they weave in what seems like it should be um, interesting plot threads in here, but they're not. They're so not. I, I think it's one of those cases where it really suffers from being only a half hour. I guess less technically, because yeah, because there, there is there is beginnings of interesting things to explore here but they don't really have time and also they kind of start piling in other things as well so it's sort of like well we could maybe explore the justice system of this planet a bit uh, no we're not going to do that we're okay we're going to explore the fallout of a massive plague that wiped out you know almost everybody on a planet or maybe not we'll just kind of skip on from that and so on and so forth and so we just had to have these set pieces and uh, plot elements that are kind of crammed together. And it doesn't really form up a good solid whole. Um, but I do say that uh, the, the best part probably was actually McCoy sort of lamenting, you know, what if I did do this? You know, I don't have all the data in front of me, but I'm going to kind of feel guilty about this anyway because I don't know what the truth is. And yeah, that was, you know, uh, probably the, I guess the, the heart of the episode, though it was still very much my mind as part of it. They set up that, which could be interesting. They set up the conspiracy thing because it really seems like they're trying to cover up something that they're doing wrong with their sister planet. And then the fact that they still have like a weird post-apocalyptic civilization living on their sister planet. Yes. Apparently done nothing to try to reintegrate the people that returned to that planet after the plague back in their society or help them rebuild or anything like that. Maybe it's just, maybe the conspiracy is that they're horrible managers of their colony. And so they're kind of trying to deflect blame, but yeah. they don't really explicitly go into that. So and the eh? fact that no one's heard of this plague before now. So really it's just, I don't know. They set up a bunch of plot threads and don't go anywhere, which they do a lot in this show. I just wanted to point that out, that there were interesting things to do here, but they didn't explore some of it. But there could have been a somewhat interesting moral idea in here, and McCoy kind of lamenting gets to this. But like, what if they had actually done that? What if a, like supposedly or at least trying to be benevolent organization like the federation went to a planet to give medical aid and wound up accidentally infecting them with something worse the good intentions but you know bad outcome situation like this could happen this could very conceivably happen with as much as they've talked about introduced disease and stuff in fact they sort of did this earlier with the infinite vulcan where the humans who came to the plant people planet introduced a horrible plague that killed off all the plant people. So it's something that they, you know, have an end to talk about. 
And heck, if they wanted to like have continuity, they could have like mentioned that on this episode. But this is the animated series. We can't expect things like continuity. Yeah. But even without continuity, like that's an interesting idea because there's definitely a weird, like a balancing act you have to try to do if you are trying to do something like arguably productive and good, like vaccinating or otherwise giving medical aid to people who, you know, don't have it. But you could be doing harm at the same time. And there's a bit that you have to kind of balance out here. Are you doing enough good that the potential harm that you could do could be balanced out or taking that risk is justified because the risk is fairly small where you have a guaranteed amount of help being done. Time to calculate some uh, risk profiles here and uh, see how it goes. And uh, if it's somewhere sort of in an ambiguous uh, uh, sort of zone, then, you know, then we can have a whole uh, discussion about, you know, is this acceptable enough risk or not? Now, the fact that they didn't tell anyone is a bit strange. Yes. Like, why, why didn't they tell anybody about this plague? If they had known, if they, if they told anyone about the plague and they didn't send help, then they're pretty culpable. But we, we don't seem, doesn't seem like that's what's happening. Because as far as we know, no one knew about this plague until they t- arrested McCoy. Yeah. Well, until they got a arrest warrant to arrest McCoy, <laughs> which I guess also maybe, you know, begs some questions with like what they apparently got this and it's le- completely le- uh, legit as far as Federation law is concerned to, uh, you know, he has extradition uh, is fine, whatever, uh, that the Federation is either well in the know about this plague at this point now and thus should be sending some sort of aid beyond, I guess, the Enterprise and their now very late medical supplies or alternatively they have just sent this through on a very expedited sort of fashion which might also imply that if there is conspiracy that someone in the federation is in on it but we don't go there no why would you go there <laughs> conspiracy within the federation to undermine some important uh, you know uh, you know uh, members of it uh working with outside aliens to manipulate things to maybe you know, weaken the flagship or something like that. Hmm. I wonder if we'll run into plots like that in the future. <laughs> Way too many, probably. Yes. <laughs> I guess to a certain extent, it's also the plot of Star Trek Six. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, I guess like, we can't like necessarily go on about a moral dilemma that they didn't actually introduce. Yeah. I guess we could maybe talk about, you know, justice systems, though we don't really got much info about this one, maybe. So it'll be very much in the, uh, all right, here's what a justice system looks like. Um, I guess I got some stuff about Aurora's if you want to talk about that. (laughs) Well, I guess I will say one thing before we get to science, that it is an interesting one that they show McCoy is like immediately distraught that the possibility of this might even happen because he might have done a massive deal of harm that he could have been indirectly responsible for. Everyone else just immediately goes like, "No, just buck up, dude." Well, Corey's like, "No, I, I'm gonna, I'm actually going to be like a legit human being here and like actually lament like, like maybe there was something I didn't, you know, catch. Maybe I didn't spot. You know, mistakes can happen when it comes to medical science, and uh, you know, maybe there, you know, if I had all the information, maybe I could look back and uh, figure out what I, I screwed up. But even still, if it was something that I did, then there's still all these people dead, and that's on me. And that's horrific. We have such a cultural problem with accountability in these kinds of situations. If someone does something accidentally, if something if something like this happens, that you had no or very little control over, and it was a complete accident, like, not your fault, you're not responsible, Not can't be held accountable for any of it, but you... St- still were involved in causing a great deal of harm and feel bad about that, we don't have anything. We, we cannot help. Culturally, we think you're fine. We have two modes. Either you did something bad enough that we're going to punish you for it, or you didn't and you shouldn't feel bad about it. We are, we are not allowed to have anything in between. And so in situations like this, we're just not able to really kind of help people that are in that sort of position. Yeah, you know, there's the technical help of getting him out of prison, but, you know, that's not really going to solve the emotional uh, impact 
unless there is for sure, you know, evidence, you know, uh, presented that it's going to be, you know, like, no, this is not your fault at all. You know, just sort of something crappy that happened, you know, you know, in coincidence with it. Um, but um, then you could still have the guilt of like, well, I was still there. I could have still maybe, you know, looked at what was going on and spotted this before it happened. And so, you know, it could just spur into a different sort of guilt there. Uh, it's like no longer my responsibility that it happened, but it's my responsibility that I didn't prevent it from happening. But they still just, they sidestep it because of course they do. Nothing bad actually happened. He wasn't involved at all. In fact, he was able to cure everyone and be happy with it. Which I guess is a, a redemption option, which is also kind of awkward in ways, because, you know, you could still have an emotional uh, sore spot, even if you, you know, you're able to sort of make up for it after, uh, you know, even in your own mind there. But we still have this problem. Like, I've, I was reading a, a memoir a few weeks back about someone who um, was involved in a fatal car accident completely not his fault like no everyone agrees nothing that he could have possibly done to prevent this but he still feels horrible about it most of the time it's greatly affected his life and he's tried to get help for it multiple times and he's talked to other people in a similar situation there's just nothing that anyone can do except for tell people they shouldn't feel bad this is not something that mental health in this country is capable of addressing like culturally we just can't do anything for people in this situation because we just do not have the cultural context to deal with it. Hmm. And I guess I don't have anything upbeat with this because like yeah. <laughs> right now we're just we're lacking the cultural ability to deal with anything in this situation because our current mode of even mental health care right now is just either nothing bad is happening and you're fine or we can't deal with it like there was even all those stories at the beginning of the covid pandemic of how hard a time therapists were having dealing with this because something bad is actually happening and so many therapists just spend all their time telling people that bad things aren't really happening in their lives and so it's that's not going to be really actually useful or helpful for anything and to bell things still kind of suck so uh. Yeah, and I'm sorry to be such a down on this, but like this is a major problem. We have a big hole in our in our like care system around anything like this that is not being addressed and people aren't even really talking about it. Like people are surprised to hear things like this. Oh, I I guess uh you know the you know there is I guess maybe from for a suggestion for our audience though is you know that it is maybe best to understand that these emotions do happen and when things are going crazy and, you know, you got, you know, pandemics here and people are, you know, dying, you know, in, in massive numbers, it is okay to feel afraid. And, you know, it's completely natural. And to try to, I guess, you know, shut down this sort of emotion is not, you know, not really healthy here. You know, understanding it is good. And, uh, you know, there are, you know, of course, limits with, you know, anything if, you know, you know, you dwell on something too much. But, you know, to deny that there, you know, these are things that that are happening, these are, you know, and it's a way to sort of try to prevent you from feeling like this. That's not going to be workable, you know, in general there. So do take care of yourselves and. You know, it's okay to feel stressed, sad, and angry about, you know, stuff that's actually going on. Hey, right, so, less depressing science talk. All right, auroras. What are auroras, Kepwin? <laughs> well, the only ones I know of are when charged particles of, like, solar radiation and junk get bent around the magnetic field and intersect with the atmosphere, causing pretty, pretty lights. Well, that's the short version, yes. <laughs> so, uh... So first off, let's talk a little bit about the structure of uh, the mag electromagnetic environment uh, throughout the solar system. So you got the sun. The sun has this very large magnetic field that is all weird and twisted and, you know, because the sun's like all sorts of plasma going on there and there's a lot of charged particles moving around and this generates electric fields, little magnetic fields, and a little of both there. And so you get this very, you know, especially close to the sun, a very complicated electromagnetic environment. And so you got, you know, solar flares, you know, doing the whole arc things with the plasma going along the magnetic field loops, you know, that connect back to the surface of the sun and things like that. But once you get a bit further out from the uh, sun, 
things tend to be a bit more of a outward streamy uh, sort of uh, structure there, in part due to something called the solar wind. Solar wind is basically the totality of all the various charged particles that are being spewed out from the sun and um, uh, high enough velocity just sort of stream out into space. Uh, and uh, they, uh, you know, because of uh, how, um, uh, you know, magnetic fields interact with charged particles, aka if you have a current, you're going to get a you know, magnetic field uh, uh, being generated around it. You're going to be, uh, you know, you're sort of, you know, driving the magnetic field away from the sun to more of a outward streaming sort of structure there. So the uh, sun's magnetic field is, you know, pushing out in a certain uh, angle out from the sun, and it interacts with the Earth's magnetic field. Now, the Earth's magnetic field is a little bit closer to a bar magnet as far as its sort of general vibe there. Uh, while the sun is sort of like, we're just going to sort of have weird structures and fields coming out in any old direction, uh, the Earth's one is more of a, a, you know, the field comes out this end and goes in the other pole, and uh, we're good to go, right? But the problem is when you have the sun's magnetic field plus the Earth's magnetic field, they sort of interact, and you got some superposition of the fields there, so you get sort of the sum total of the two, and so the magnetic field close to the sun is, you know, sort of bunched up while the field on the uh, away from the sun is all stretched out, and you get sort of Earth's magneto tail there. And so you got these charged particles coming at the Earth, you got these interacting magnetic fields, uh, and so you get... Uh, a a certain number of the a certain amount of the charged particles from the solar wind uh, start getting channeled down the you know into the Earth's magnetic field uh, at the at the poles there at those uh, more open bits there and so you get you know these streams of particles uh, you know that come down and then hit the upper atmosphere and so you get electrons now interacting with the uh, the upper atmosphere and uh, creating a nice pretty light show as you know, they, you know, do a little ionization here, you know, some other effects here, and suddenly you got this sort of structure, this ring-like structure around the pole that is all a bit of a light show and things like that. And, uh, you know, it's you know, more than just visible light, but, you know, it's the main point that we remember about it. Um, and But uh, there is also other sources uh, besides just straight-up solar wind. Uh, there's also, uh, you know, are you familiar with the Van Allen radiation belts, Gepwin? Oh, it sounds familiar. So uh, James Van Allen, who's a guy I've actually technically met, a um, little bit of story there, but uh, I'll, I can tell another time. <laughs> uh, the, uh, he, you know, the, he's the, they were these are uh, uh, bits of the Earth's magnetic field uh, that tend to trap large amounts of charged particles, uh, and sometimes when the sun starts having an active, uh, you know, uh, moment there uh, or phase or whatever, and uh, there's a a a radical change in the sun's magnetic field because once again it's plasma it's all getting you know you know you know effects there and there's a lot of variability to it that's being sort of dri driven by its internal f uh, fusion uh, process uh that it can suddenly have a bit of a reconfiguration and sometimes the field gets a lot weaker or a lot stronger and suddenly how the sun's magnetic field is interacting with the earth's magnetic field changes so where the ideal spot for those uh, radiation belts are and other sort of trapped particles in the uh, Earth's magnetic field, um, you know, where the ideal for the uh, places for those particles to be is now suddenly different. Or alternatively, the, the trajectories of these particles in their trapped you know, you know, configuration before is no longer a configuration that is going to be ideal for the magnetic field as it is now. So, yeah, I don't want to go too much into the exact math here, but long story short, you know, there's certain trajectories that fit well with a certain magnetic field. But if you change the magnetic field, those trajectories can now send you out of your magnetic field configuration and suddenly stream down towards the Earth, and you also interact with the atmosphere. And so you get uh, sort of, I guess, you know, puffs of uh, aurora kind of coming out from that as parts of the, uh, you know, uh, you know, plasma environment around the Earth is suddenly now being ejected into the atmosphere. So, uh, yeah. Oh, so you get like weird little mini auroras. Yeah. <laughs> and you get sort of blobs and uh, circles here and there. And, uh, you know, there, there's all sorts of, you know, you know, weird stuff that can kind of happen there. And it's all, you know, very fascinating and kind of all comes into the larger concept of space weather, <laughs> which is actually like a, an umbrella term for all of this stuff. <laughs> 
because uh, you know having these charged particles fly around and do stuff can actually affect stuff on here on Earth as well as in orbit. Like satellites and stuff can get sort of uh, a bit uh, you know wonky with you know suddenly it's satellites full of extra electrons. This might affect electronics slightly. <laughs> yeah, your TV used to go bad when you were having a bad solar flare day. Yeah, and so uh, it's, as well as you know, you're, so you're, you're changing up, you know, the plasma environment uh, near the Earth, which can also affect communications. So you know, there is a number of uh, frequencies that like to be used, you know, you know, used, you know, you know, bouncing off the magnetic, you know, you know, the the plasma environment around the Earth in order to get over the horizon. But if that uh, plasma environment is suddenly radically different, well, that can maybe make your signals get lost or, you know, shorten your range or even extend your range, depending on what's going on here. And uh, there's a lot of various effects there. And keeping a sort of uh, track of this can help predict when there's going to be communications uh, disruptions, uh, can also, you know, help, uh, you know, sort out things like, you know, radars and things like that, because... If you're doing an over-the-horizon radar situation, you know, it'd be kind of nice to know that you know what you're bouncing off of up in the sky is where you intend it to be. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to figure out the over-the-horizon part properly, and you could be massively off as far as what you're detecting and where you think it is. Uh, so uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff there, and none of this has to do with the plague. <laughs> <laughs> So what is this giant, giant multicolored space cloud that's emitting so much radiation? It makes people with a plague change color, but only people who have a specific virus. I don't know. <laughs> I guess maybe there is some very strange uh, magnetic phenomena in this part of space or something like that, where there is effectively, you know, planetary dipole-like structures and there's also some gas clouds nearby, and it's causing a similar effect to a planetary aurora, maybe? <laughs> but I don't know how that would ever be formed and sustained. So Yeah. Eh? And then there's only... So you turn blue and red. The only things I know of, at least in humans, that can do that to your skin pigmentation. Um, too much silver, if you intake a lot of silver, like colloidal silver mm -hmm. is a popular one you can change your pigment skin pigmentation can become slightly bluish uh as far as i know red is probably iron if it's red red uh you can get sort of an orangey tinge from too much uh keratin mm -hmm. which if you eat way too many carrots yes <laughs> but it has to be way too many <laughs> what about sunburns <laughs> and get some jaundice going on there yeah you could get sunburned so it could just be a very quick sunburn <laughs> which i guess with the you know the, the whole uh, high energy electrons there maybe it's a similar effect maybe i don't know <laughs> well that yeah. one could at least make some sense because there's a de there's a decent amount of stuff that can make you more sun sensitive mm-hmm you could become so sun sensitive that even the artificial lights on the ship give you a s s terrible sunburn. That'd be kind of awful. You'd have to yeah, go live in the dark forever. Which is maybe why they live in caves on that other planet. <laughs> which could be an interesting thing to explore as well. It's like, yes, uh, <laughs> we figured out that being outside kills you if you're out there for too long, because then you'll just spontaneously generate plague. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, uh, the science in this doesn't make a lot of sense, other than maybe the plague stuff, and that's really kind of also wrong as well but that's also in universe <laughs> yeah i mean none of the science stuff makes sense and then why did they send i'm just sorry but why did they send the immune guy but also two other dudes down to the planet <laughs> where they're definitely going to get the plague <laughs> because reasons no one's going to get the plague it's fine well, it's all burned itself out you know there's no uh re-transmission or uh sleeper characters or anything like that it's all fine yeah, don't worry the plague tired itself out you know uh, uh, plagues, you know, you know, viruses and things like that. The the most successful ones tend to not totally wipe out a population. Instead, they tend to, you know, have a population still that can they can reproduce in. So, you know, watch out for that, guys. Yeah. Otherwise, the plague would just die out. Yeah. <laughs> and that would kind of defeat the whole purpose of its, you know, reproducing massively. 
Yeah. So that's all the science talk I got for this week. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's a lot. There's a lot. Like we've already stretched it quite a bit for this episode. Um. Though I, I will, I guess. Um. You know, we we have opportunities to maybe talk about the justice system, but that are being ridiculous. But we have plenty of opportunities in future Star Trek to also cover that with a bit more attachment to the actual episodes. Yes, we can definitely talk about justice systems several times on. Yeah, including completely ridiculous ones, like in that one episode where uh, Wesley Crusher is apparently supposed to die. <laughs> oh yeah, that one. That's fun. Yes. <laughs> Got some things to say there. <laughs> yes. Oh baby, that's a, that's a whole episode there. <laughs> but I think for now, it's probably time to move to the galaxy's favorite game show! Woo! Hey everybody, welcome to the game show portion of the show. I hope you're feeling so beautiful today. Uh, you're all very colorful too. I wonder what's up with that. <laughs> Our various contestants have been racking up all sorts of points here, so it's time to start handing out the prizes for their, you know, massive successes today, or alternatively massive failures, depending on what prizes we're handing out. Our first one is, uh, in fact, one of those failures, the Medical Malpractice Prize, which goes to the Dramians for having years to research the mystery, you know, the mystery plague and its origins, but deciding correlation means causation, and, you know, that's good enough instead. So it's always a McCoy's fault, totally, guys, really, for sure. What do they win, Gepwin? They win some cool multicolored masks that we can just get them to wear. Like, we need to make this a new fashion thing. It really seems obvious that this is an airborne plague, given how quick everyone on the ship gets it. Mm -hmm. So maybe we could have normalized masks at any point in here. People wouldn't get quite as sick. Indeed. Yeah, you know, these uh, these funky looking aliens here with their tentacles and all things. You know, you know, they could have some masks going on here. And it's like, yeah, we figured out how to defeat the plague. You should like wear masks, folks. It's easy. Even us weird alien guys can do it. Ho ho. <laughs> Our second prize uh, is the Cat Burglar Prize, which goes to Demos for trying to sneak onto the Enterprise. Like, you know, you just do sometimes, I guess. Even if it was su a super obvious trap, but what does he win, Gepwin? He wins one of those cool sets of thieves' tools, because if you're going to get caught immediately, it's really embarrassing to just walk through a door. You should have at least lockpicked or, or had one of those ridiculous diamond circle cutter things. <laughs> Just, just any of this, just, just walking out the door, just opening the door and walking through. It's like, haha, you're caught. Like you didn't even try. Yes. <laughs> you need the whole, uh, you know, suction cup and you know, uh, you know, thing going on there, or uh, you know, maybe, maybe at least a crowbar, maybe because you know, you got to force the door open, sort of. I don't know, but uh, yeah, he's not a very good cat burglar, but he did try. Our final prize today is the. Too Snark is Logical Prize, which goes to Super Logical Guy Man Spock Ailing Dude here, the Vulcan, for uh, being super snark snarky at the end to McCoy for seemingly no good reason other than to get a rise out of him. What does he win, Gepwin? He gets the book of 101 Definitely Human Insults, because <laughs> eventually he's going to run out. He just he has to give one to McCoy every day. Just keep, keep pushing. Just keep pushing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Spock... You'll uh, finally get McCoy to admit that you are the master of humor on the ship. Someday. Someday. Think of the way, Gepwood. <laughs> yeah, thank you, everyone. Thank you, all the contestants and everybody, for joining us here on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Oh, uh, do you like Mesoamerica? I do. And in fact, this is one of those episodes that I've uh, heard of for good reasons. I don't know how the episode itself stacks up, but the writer of the episode is very proud that he was able to actually write this thing and put some of his own native culture into an episode. And it was written by someone who knows some of this stuff and has, as far as I'm aware the first Native American character in Star Trek. What about that one planet where uh, the Native Americans got kidnapped by aliens? 
Did they do that in the original series? Which one was? Oh yeah, that one. Those weren't. They weren't. I don't know. <laughs> this guy's on the crew. It counts back. Right. <laughs> so, so an actual crew member. Excellent. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, a little bit less ridiculous, a little bit more respectful. Excellent. Good. 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 So the next episode is called "How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth." Well, well how sharp is it? It's apparently as sharp as a disappointing child. It's a Shakespeare oh. reference. Ah, wait a moment, Shakespeare? Mayan culture? What's going on here? Yeah, that probably isn't going to end well, is it? <laughs> I do know the plot of this one just from uh, having uh, seen some interviews and stuff. Overall, I don't know what to make of it. It's it's pretty standard. We've seen stuff like this before, but it could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe a different cultural thing. I have uh, bits and pieces of it in my head as well, but I've not seen it myself, so... So I guess we'll uh, see how it rolls by uh, by next uh, next episode here. Yeah, we'll see what's going on with giant alien snake gods next yeah. week on Watchers of Tomorrow. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, feathered serpents in space. have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more, and where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>